What is up, Cyber and Crypto Posse? Hope everybody's doing good. Sorry it's been a while. Uh, today is August the 7th, 2019. This is episode 80 of the Cybersecurity and Cryptocurrency Podcast. I'm your host, Eric English. All the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely my opinions and do not reflect that of my employer. It's been a while because I started a new, a new job, so I do have a new employer now. So I was kind of getting settled in there before I uh, you know, could have some time there to break away and, and do another podcast here. But definitely got some interesting topics to to bring up some personal experiences with the new gig as well so all kinds of stuff to dive into here uh, on the cybersecurity side of things there's some pretty interesting news related stuff over the last few weeks there was some news about uh, some AT&T employees that were bribed to plant some malware on the AT&T network also going to talk about some uh, look-alike sites that were basically spoofing Walmart sites to try to gather uh, customer information. There's a new uh, Qualcomm security flaw, so that'll affect all the Android smartphones, so we'll talk about that as well. And some privacy stuff. This was interesting. Uh, Apple uh, recently came out and said that they suspended a program allowing contractors to listen to Siri voice recordings. So we'll dive into that as well. And last thing we'll touch on in cyber is WPA3 and some new hacking techniques on that. To throw into that, I'm also going to talk a little bit about a VPN versus private DNS and what the differences are and and why, you know, which one's better than the other and then you can decide which one that you want to use. So we'll talk about that as well. On the crypto side of things, we'll talk about the prices, obviously. Going to talk a little bit about MasterCard and what they're working on. Also, there's some pretty big news about Binance and some customer data that was leaked from Binance. So we'll definitely talk about that as well. That was probably the bigger crypto news of the last few days. All right, so let's get right into this uh, AT&T story. This one really caught my eye because it's been going on for so long. It's a pretty big, pretty big scam that's been going on here. So since 2012 is apparently when this started. There were some Pakistani men that were bribing AT&T employees uh, basically to unlock iPhones and whatnot so they could be used outside of AT&T's network. And the bribes added up to, they're saying close to a million dollars. That's quite a bit of money. So they did those bribes for about a year. And then in 2013 is when they started uh, with their malware campaign. So they basically dropped a keylogger and was able to collect all kinds of information with that keylogger. They then deployed a second piece of malware based on the information they got from that keylogger to then do even more information gathering and whatnot and spying to see how everything works. And the second tool also was using uh, AT&T employee credentials to do some automated stuff on AT&T internal applications. So that's that's pretty wild stuff there. Pretty wild stuff. In uh, 2014, the this guy's name looks like it's Fahd, F-A-H-D. You know, I'm terrible at pronouncing things. Apparently he began uh, having issues with his malware. He couldn't control it. And he was bribing other AT&T employees to put in rogue access points inside AT&T's call centers. And once they did that, it helped uh, helped him gain other access to internal apps and into the AT&T network. And then he was continuing on his 
phone unlocking scheme. So I'm, I'm guessing here that he can make a whole bunch of money unlocking these phones so they can be used outside of AT&T's network. He can sell them in other countries, I'm guessing. Uh, I don't know. Most of them were iPhones, it says. Pretty expensive iPhones, nonetheless. Yeah, they paid over a million bucks in bribes to AT&T employees, and they unlocked more than two million devices. So that is... That is quite a bit of money that they that they were bribing with, and you know, quite a quite a few devices that were unlocked. So I have AT and T, and of course, this is alarming to say the least. And what's what's worse is you hear nothing about this from AT and T. I haven't received any kind of notification saying this kind of stuff was happening. You know, I'm just stumbling across a news article, and this stuff's been going on since 2012. So you re- you never really know what any of these vendors are doing behind the scenes. You don't know what's actually happening behind the scenes. You don't know how good the controls are behind the scenes, right? Everybody does the best they can, and we have to kind of hope and trust that the bigger companies have the best security and the best controls that they possibly can. Apparently, AT&T does not. (laughs) There's apparently no sort of uh, flagging or anything if, if a phone is unlocked. And otherwise, they would have seen, you know, these two million devices getting unlocked and would have raised some sort of a red flag, you would think. But anyway, the the two guys involved in the scheme were arrested in Hong Kong and they were extradited to the U.S. last week. So, wow, that's just, it's just wild to think about. Insider threats like that, people getting bribed, I didn't even think about that. But, I mean, you can imagine that these bigger companies that have these call centers and, you know, they have employees that may not really care about their job. They're just kind of doing it for money and may not care about the company either. And so they they'd take a bribe because they need the money, you know? They're not getting paid a whole lot or whatever it is. So that's just one more thing for IT security pros to think about and to be very weary of because who knows where else this is happening, right? I mean, this there's no telling, right? It could be happening at any other company. We just happened to find out now about AT&T, and this one's been going on since 2012. So anyway, I'll post that in the show notes. It's a pretty big scheme, and I'm certainly kind of PO'd that AT&T didn't send out any kind of communication about it, but I guess they're not going to tell us about everything, although I wish they would sometimes, and let me know what they're going to do to prevent it next time. So anyway, on to the next one here. There was a story about some website spoofing. These folks were putting up some fake job sites, specifically targeting Walmart. Uh, Some were even targeting McDonald's. And they were basically trying to gather job seekers' information. And they put up about 540 malicious domains to do this with. And people were going on these sites and applying for jobs. I mean, the sites looked extremely legitimate. People were going on there, filling out the job apps. And apparently they're using that information to uh, steal their identities and, you know, who knows what else. They're saying that a lot of the registrant details point to Pakistan and Bangladesh. So certainly interesting to see that. That's a that's a new kind of uh, tactic there. I've, I wouldn't really think about, you know, as a as somebody that was hacking, I wouldn't I guess I wouldn't have considered going after a job seeker. But I guess if you can get somebody to put in, you know, all kinds of information, personal information, you know, put in some security questions, maybe even give up their social security numbers through these job apps. It might be worth it. Yeah, maybe they can turn around and sell that data to, you know, the dark web 
anything like that. And who knows how much they could make on that kind of stuff. But anyway, I thought that was that was pretty wild. That's uh, quite a few sites that were popping up. And a lot of the domain names were, were fairly legitimate looking and sounding. Uh, one of them was walmartcareers.us. It's one of the examples they gave here. You know, and most people wouldn't think twice about it, you know. But obviously they were not legit. And people were even showing up for their interviews. <laughs> But there was no interview actually scheduled, so it was a pretty elaborate scheme they had going on here. So I'll post that one in the show notes as well. All right, some other news here. Just in case you weren't sick and tired of Spectre and Meltdown enough, well, guess what? We have another chipset flaw in Qualcomm. And, of course, this is going to affect all the Android devices out there. And they've released uh, three different CVEs for the, what they're calling Qualpon, or Qualpone, I guess, whichever you want to call it. Um, so these these different attack vectors were, were pretty substantial. One of them allows an attacker to compromise the, uh, the WAN and the modem basically over the air. Some of the others allow the attacker to compromise the Android kernel from the, from the WAN chip. And some of the other, one of the other exploits allows attackers to compromise the Android kernel basically just over the air in some circumstances, of course. But those are pretty big, pretty big threats there for anybody that's got these Qualcomm chips. What's going to be interesting is how and if this kind of thing can be patched with a security patch or if this is a hardware based flaw. I haven't seen that in the article as of now at least. Uh, but I have not read the actual researchers' uh, article that they posted on it. But yeah, basically they could just take over the Android kernel from, you know, either the the wireless LAN or from just over the air from, you know, 4G, LTE, whatever it is. So pretty, pretty wild stuff there. So I'll post that in the show notes as well. If you got an Android and you got a, a Qualcomm chip, you might want to Check that one out as well. All right, some other interesting stuff here. This one really caught my eye because, not only because Tim Cook says that Apple is so privacy-focused, but also all the Apple fans that say that they're super privacy-focused at Apple. Well, come to find out, Apple was allowing some sort of contractors to listen in on Siri voice recordings, and why they were doing this is still kind of unknown at the moment, but... Apple did suspend this program that was letting these contractors listen in on that. But you want to talk about some some privacy issues there. I mean, what was what were these contractors doing? Apparently, they could listen to any kind of like drug deals or <laughs> people being intimate, all kinds of other stuff that they could hear. And they were saying they were doing it to improve audio accuracy. But uh, that just seems a little weird. But Apple calls the process grading. So they basically can improve the Siri experience. And they can listen to the the voices of various people and, and improve their services. But a former contractor for Apple is the one that came out and detailed this whole process. And how he basically got all these private audio snippets. And, you know, of course, the clips that he he obtained were anonymous. But, you know, if you say something in there that's got your name in it or has some sort of private information, it's not so anonymous anymore. And of course, we've heard this about Amazon. We've heard it about Google. All of the voice assistant type of applications and and smart home devices and all that stuff, uh, even Cortana, all of those are doing very much the same thing. I'd be shocked if they weren't. But this one really caught my eye specifically because it was 
Apple. There was also some privacy concerns that Apple was just kind of keeping this data, and Google and Amazon too, they were keeping this data just forever, basically. Uh, and there was no retention policy on when these companies delete all this information and whatnot. So, of course, you can read all about Apple's privacy stuff on their website. This article has links to all that good stuff as well. So you can certainly go out there and freshen up on that if you feel like going to sleep while reading. But it just goes to show you, just like the AT&T thing, you never really know what's going on behind the scenes at Apple, at Amazon, any of these places, AT&T, you never really know what's going on behind the scenes. And it's scary. This is why you have to protect yourself so much. And this is why privacy is such a big deal. If we knew everything that was happening behind the scenes, then you know it might be a different story. But until we're, you know, until we have full access to see everything that's happening with all of our information all the time, we all have to be very cautious and we all have to protect ourselves as much as possible. All right, on to some other fun stuff. WPA3 was released recently. It's the new wireless encryption standard. And of course, people have found ways to hack it. So they're calling this dragon blood. That's what some of these hacks are, are called. So these flaws were interesting. There were some side channel attacks on WPA3 that, that these attackers found. So that was quite interesting to read up on some of these. Uh, there's also one that a side channel attack against free radius. Uh, if you're using that with WPA3, it could have could have been exploited uh, using some of these attacks as well. Either way, uh, even with all these recent CVEs that came out with WPA3, they are going to update the Wi-Fi standard. The Wi-Fi Alliance already came out and said that they're going to update it with the proper defenses and it might lead to a WPA 3.1. So be on the lookout for that pretty soon. We all knew that was going to happen. And when they come out with 3.1, I'm sure they'll figure out something else. It's always going to be a ever-evolving thing as with anything else but i thought that was interesting to see that so i'll post that in the show notes as well all right now to kind of a more personal thing so i'm transitioning to a new job and throughout that process i won't get into too much of the details but uh, i was essentially told that using private dns like cloudflare was just as good as using a vpn service like nordvpn frankly i was well, I was shocked, number one, that another security person would tell me that, knowing that that's 100% not accurate, or you would at least think that they would know that if they're calling themselves a security person. And this this person also asked me why I was using a VPN, and I basically just told me, hey, you can use private DNS, it's just as good. But it's not. So, and I... <laughs> I don't understand how he didn't realize this, or maybe maybe it was taken out of context. I don't know, but that's what he said. I said it's just as good, and to me, that's just not accurate at all. If you're encrypting all of your traffic through a VPN tunnel, that means everything you do in and out of that tunnel is encrypted to and from your device. Everything. If you're just using private DNS, the only thing that's being encrypted and that's private is just your DNS queries. So you can still see where the traffic is going. If it's not a DNS query, you can still follow the traffic and see what sites you're going to. You may not see the DNS query relating to it, but you can do IP lookups and figure out what site you're going to anyway, even without having the DNS query in there. So yes, it's good to have DNS uh, privacy and all that stuff. That's great. Cloudflare has been awesome. I use Cloudflare as well, but it still doesn't take the place of a VPN. 
And I was just shocked that another security person would tell me that, oh, it's just as good as using a VPN. I highly disagree because if you're on a, let's say you're at the airport and you're using Cloudflare, just their private DNS. Well, guess what? Somebody can still do a man-in-the-middle attack and capture everything you're doing. Whereas if you are at the airport on the airport Wi-Fi and you have your VPN on, even if they tried to do a man-in-the-middle attack, they wouldn't be able to see anything at all other than encrypted information. Whereas in the other scenario, using just private DNS, they'd see encrypted DNS traffic, but they would see other unencrypted information as well that was passing through. So there's definitely a huge difference between using private DNS and a VPN. Ideally, you'd want to use both. Uh, for privacy reasons, you'd want to use both. But private DNS is not anywhere near better or a replacement for an always-on VPN service like NordVPN, any of the others out there. That's just not a not even a good comparison. So I thought that was an interesting thing to bring up and, and discuss today because I was really shocked that anybody would even say that. Nonetheless, I've been tinkering also at, at home using the whole house VPNs, using Nord and all that good stuff for the whole house. The only problem there is it really slows down your internet internet connection speed. I mean, you're, you're even if you got a you know, 100 meg connection. If you turn on a whole house VPN, it could cut it down to 40 meg pretty quick. And so that's the biggest drawback of using those VPNs, of course. It's it's going to make things slower, but sometimes it's just the, the trade-off that you want to make. So what I've done essentially at home is I do the private DNS on my router and firewall, and then anytime I'm on my personal devices is where I use the VPN services like Nord. That way I can still get a lot of the same speeds What's interesting, too, is if you're connected just from your device to Nord or one of the other VPN services, it seemed to be quite fast. Um, it, it would use pretty much all of the bandwidth that you had if it needed to. I was doing speed tests on all that kind of stuff. So the, basically, the, the client, client VPN was much better than the whole home VPN service was, at least for now. All right, I'll jump off my soapbox there. Uh, we'll jump over to cryptocurrency stuff. So Bitcoin has been... Uh, steadily going up while a lot of the other altcoins are steadily not. <laughs> it's been quite interesting to watch. Uh, Bitcoin hit 12000 earlier today, but it is back down to $11,681 as we speak right now. So that's certainly a little bit of a dip from where it was earlier today. Ethereum's at 223 Bitcoin Cash is at 335 Ripple is all the way down to $0.30. Cents. Wow. It's just crazy to see these altcoins just dropping so bad like that. I don't I don't know why. I wish I did. I wish I had the answers. My only suspicion is that it would be potentially from people trying to get into crypto from the Libra news. And that may actually never come to fruition, by the way. Uh, I won't be talking about that today, but I read some other stuff that they may not even be able to come out with it at all. Uh, but I'm... I'm suspecting that you know more new people wanted to get into the the crypto space and you know if you're new to cryptocurrency you have no idea what these altcoins are all you've heard of is bitcoin everything is bitcoin there there is no altcoin you don't know what ethereum is everything is called bitcoin so there could be a lot of that new people joining in and buying bitcoin and not understanding what all these other altcoins are but also some of this could be some of the flack from binance uh, and all the us based 
customers that Binance used to have doing exchanges with altcoins. Now that U.S. customers can't do that anymore on the Binance exchange, typically those U.S. customers would switch it over to Bitcoin and then transfer it out, depending on what the altcoin was. Sometimes you could just transfer it to another exchange or to a local wallet, but a lot of folks chose to uh, sell it to Bitcoin and then take it out of the exchange. So it just kind of depends on how people do all that too. So some of that could be from the the Binance fallout as well. So I don't know though. Could be from anything really. It's it's crazy to to see how how the market goes with crypto. But speaking of Binance, there was a customer information leak that was reported on today. So Binance and all the other exchanges make you do this KYC. It's know your customer. And essentially they make you do this heavy identification verification process where you hold up a picture of a handwritten note and you hold up a picture with your driver's license and you take a picture and you send that to them with all of your other personal information. And they basically use that to validate who you are validate your identity. So a lot of these crypto exchanges, apparently including Binance, outsourced that service to a third party. And so some hackers are now trying to extort Binance, and they're basically saying they're going to release all this KYC information on about 60,000 of Binance's customers. 60,000 a drop in the bucket for Binance, of course, but still, it's a lot of people. But these hackers are basically demanding Bitcoin for it. Otherwise, they're going to release it. They've started releasing little bits and pieces. They've already released a thousand of these so far. And you can read about this on Coindesk, by the way. Uh, Coindesk was able to obtain some of that information, and they even verified with the actual people uh, whose identities they were, and they were able to, the people's identities, they were able to say, hey, yeah, that, that is me, and I did take that picture at that day on this time, so that that is what I sent to Binance. Binance came back and said, well, it doesn't have our digital watermark on it, so they couldn't have stolen it from us. So Binance is kind of pointing the finger at the third party. Of course, Binance said they couldn't handle the, the heavy influx of the KYC stuff, so they had to outsource it to another, another third party to basically handle all those requests and make sure they could fulfill those requests in a timely manner. So it appears that Binance customers' KYC information was stolen basically from this third party, potentially, or maybe even potentially from Binance. I guess we don't really know yet. Binance is claiming it wasn't from them because it doesn't have their digital watermark. I don't know what their process is to put that watermark on there. I would assume if somebody's good enough, they could get those images before they put any kind of watermark on it. But apparently Binance puts that watermark on it before they store it in their systems. So that's that's certainly uh, something scary to see there. But some of this information went all the way back to February of 2018. That is quite a while ago. And you can imagine all the people that signed up and had to do that KYC stuff. Ah, what a mess, right? So basically the third party is now under investigation and they're working with law enforcement and they're going to keep everybody informed. At least that's what Binance said. So ever evolving story there about Binance, certainly not good for their reputation. Uh, by the way, I haven't seen Binance.us open up for exchange yet. The site's still there, but haven't seen it actually open up yet, which is still surprising. Uh, it still says it's coming soon, unfortunately. But it makes you wonder 
how many of these other crypto exchanges that use third parties for this ID verification, you know, how secure is that whole process? How are they transferring that information back and forth? Uh, how secure is that third party in general? I mean, there's a lot of a lot of what ifs. And Binance isn't the only exchange that was outsourcing this as well. I mean, it was a lot of others too. So you can't just point a finger at Binance. It could have happened to any of them. But certainly a scary thing to think about there with all that personal information they could have had and apparently do have. So I'll try to keep everybody updated on that as I see more information come out about that. And the last thing today in crypto, I just saw this uh, MasterCard is apparently going to develop their own crypto and their own uh, wallet app as well. So I thought that was interesting on the, you know, on the heels of all this Libra stuff and all of the uproar about, you know, crashing foreign countries' financial systems with Libra and all the regulatory hurdles and all those things that were negative about Libra. Here comes MasterCard, and they say they're going to start developing their own crypto. I thought that was kind of interesting. I don't think that MasterCard would be able to handle all that regulatory stuff either. Maybe they do. I don't know. But uh, it seemed like a huge task for Facebook, and MasterCard would certainly face the exact same scrutiny as Facebook Libra did. But they've come out and said, hey, we're going to do this. Now, having a mobile wallet, of course, I could totally see that with cryptos in the mobile wallet and use a MasterCard to spend your crypto. I could totally get that. But uh, making your own crypto, that's that's a totally different story there, MasterCard. I guess we'll see what happens. All right, folks, that's all I got for today. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at CyberCryptoGuy, at CyberCryptoGuy on Twitter. Check me out on there. I retweet a bunch of the stuff that we talk about here on the show. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Thank you.